All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses and to those of you watching online. We are beginning a brand new series today called How the Mighty Fall. There doesn't seem like there's a day that goes by without another headline of a leader who has fallen, another leader who succumbed to greed, lust, drugs, alcohol, or an affair, another leader whose temper or desire for a quick fix has cost them dearly. None of us ever think that leader is going to be us until it is, but here's what I believe. None of us are immune to the temptations that leaders face, and every single one of us is a leader. If you are a parent, you are a leader. If you're a teacher, coach, physician, or have people reporting to you, you are a leader. If you are a middle school student, high school student, college student, you have the potential to be a leader in your school, on your team, and in your generation. Your peers are watching you, especially if they know that you're a Christian, and the stakes are high. When my wife was in high school, she can still remember when her FCA leader, FCA stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, when her FCA leader told her that she was leaving her husband and getting a divorce. My wife, whose parents were also divorced, can remember thinking at the age of 16, I guess it's just not possible for people to stay married for life. Your marriage, your character, your integrity, and your decisions will influence your kids, your friends, and everybody else who looks up to you. So in this series, we're going to look at four people who became mighty leaders, but who had a hard fall. And our hope is that we can learn from them and not make the same mistakes that they did, because when a leader falls... It happens just like that. This past spring break, my wife and I, we drove with our kids 24 hours down to Orlando, Florida. 24 hours in a Toyota, Toyota Sienna swagger wagon minivan. And four kids ages 6 through 12. We deserve a medal for this. Actually, my kids did great. So maybe they're the ones who deserve the medal. But when we were down there, we went to this place called Aquatica Water Park. And at Aquatica, they have this water slide that's called Iahu's Breakaway Falls. Here's a picture of this, so you can kind of get an idea of what it looks like. It's 126 steps to get up to that thing, which is eight stories off the ground, 80 feet up in the air. When you get to the top, they put you in something that kind of looks like a cockpit or a gas chamber. They seal the glass door. And they tell you to cross your arms and put your back against the wall. Then, as you're facing everybody who's in line, waiting to get on this ride, you hear a countdown. Three, two, one. Then there's a pause, and a trap door opens underneath your feet. So for the first ten feet of this ride, you are in a complete free fall. Here's a video of this ride just so you can see what it looks like. Take a look. So the whole day I'm looking up at that thing and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be disappointed in myself if I don't at least try. So I took the 126 steps to get to the top. 80 feet off of the ground, standing in line, and I am nervous. 
But I looked around the line, and over half of the people with me were 12-year-old girls. So I kept pumping myself up. I'm like, if she can do it, like she's up to here, you can do this, Jason. I just kept telling myself that. But just to make sure, I had my own 12-year-old son, Micah, go first. <laughs> Sacrificial lamb, right? I was so crazy at that moment, I'm thinking, if something bad happens, better it happens to him than it does to me. That's kind of my thought process at that moment. So Micah got into this cockpit, and he gives me this wry little smile, and boom, down he goes. Now it's my turn. I get in, I hear the countdown, three, two, one. I am not kidding you. I came so close to banging on that door. <laughs> I had raised my fist. I was just about to tell him, you know what? I changed my mind. Get me out of here. But I waited a split second too long because right as I went like this, boom, the door opened and down I went. Was it fun? The best way for me to describe this to you is when I got done, I said, that was awesome. But when I was actually on the ride, I felt like I was fighting for my life. That was pretty much how that went. Now, there are trap doors at water parks, and there are trap doors in life as well. When you step out onto one, you will slide, you will fall. It's the teenager who thinks, you know what, I'm just going to try this once. Do you know how many people over the years have said that? I'm just going to do this one time. And before you know it, they are sliding away from the life that they wanted. It's the recovering alcoholic who says, you know, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm just going to have two drinks. I've been sober now for several years. I've, I've got this under control. And the next thing you know, they're sliding back into an addiction. This is the married couple who thinks, you know what, our marriage is just... It's struggling. All we do is fight with each other. And every time I'm around that person, they make me feel bad about myself. But I met this person online. I met this person at work. And it's not going to be a big deal if I just send them a couple messages, if we talk a little bit on the computer. It's not going to be a big deal if we grab coffee or drinks after work. And next thing you know, that marriage is sliding. And it is in a free fall. Any doors in your life like that right now? Looks fun. It looks exciting. You've even been trying to talk yourself into the idea that it would be okay for you to open that door, but you know. Get close to that door. Open that door. You are going to fall. Get close to that door. Open that door. You are going to slide. Your future, your reputation, just like that, free fall. This is true for leaders it is especially true for leaders who have been successful. In fact, if I were to ask all of us here today, as a leader, would you rather be successful, mediocre, or a total failure? Every one of you is going to go, well, that's, that's an easy question. Of course I want to be successful. I mean, nobody wants to be the CEO who led the company into bankruptcy. Nobody wants to be the coach who finished the season winless. Every single one of us wants to have success in life. But here's my question. What happens when you get it? Are you prepared to handle success well? Most of us spend our teens, 20s, and the better part of our 30s chasing our idea of success. But we never take a step back and go, you know, if I actually achieve that, am I ready, am I prepared to handle success well? 
because success is intoxicating. You start to believe what other people are saying about you. In fact, oftentimes, the more successful you are, the more susceptible you are. Success can be, not always, but can be a trap door. I was reading through 1 Chronicles chapter 21 recently, and verse 1 just stopped me dead. Here's what that verse says. It says, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now, to number Israel meant to take a census. It meant that David was going to go around and count up how many people lived in that nation, how many fighting, able-bodied men did they have. And God had strictly forbidden this because God didn't want them to trust in their own numbers and their own power. God wanted them to trust in him. But did you notice something about this verse? It says that Satan stood against who? He stood against the nation of Israel. But who did Satan attack? He attacked David, the leader of the nation of Israel. If Satan wanted to attack Eaglebrook Church, most likely he would attack Bob Merritt. He would attack our board. He would attack our leadership team, staff, or key influential volunteer leaders. If Satan wanted to attack our country, most likely he would attack our president, our vice president, politicians, or cultural influencers, actors, writers, musicians, people who have an influence over culture and what we think and how we behave. If Satan wanted to attack your school, most likely he would attack maybe the administration, or he might attack you and other student leaders. If Satan were standing against one of your kids, he might just attack you as the parent. It says that Satan stood against the nation of Israel, but he incited, he tempted, he attacked David, the leader of Israel, to sin. One more thought about this verse. When David is attacked, he is at the top of his game. In chapter 20, just one chapter earlier, it says that David had conquered cities and nations. He had defeated the Philistines who were like giants. He even defeated a guy who had six fingers and six toes on each of his hands and feet. You defeat a 24-finger and toe guy, you're at the top of your game, right? I mean, how many people can say that? I went up against this guy. He had 24 fingers and toes, took him down. David is at the top of his game. But when he is the most successful, he is also the most susceptible. And the same is true for us as well. It's the CEO who thinks, I can speak to my employees however I want to. I built this company from the ground up. I've led us to our, our highest earning shares ever. What are you going to do? Are you going to fire me? Are you going to let me go? It's the boss who puts the women who work for him in an uncomfortable situation. But he thinks, oh, I can get away with that because I'm the boss. It's the parents who think my kids deserve special privileges because of all the money that I donate to this school. What are you going to tell me my kids don't get to? I mean, I pretty much fund this place. Anytime you start to think, I'm above the law, those rules over there, they apply to everyone else, but they don't actually apply to me. I deserve a little bit extra. Anytime you start to think that way, you are in a dangerous place. 
oftentimes the most successful are also the most susceptible. That's true for the man that we're going to look at today. His name is King Uzziah. Uzziah became the king of Israel when he was 16 years old. Just think about that for a moment. The guy is leading the most powerful nation on planet Earth, and he can't even drive a camel yet. He's not old enough. He's 16. And he's leading the nation of Israel. Here's what it says about Uzziah's father, Amaziah. It says that he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. In other words, for the most part, he was generally a, a good, godly kind of person, but he never loved God with 100% of his heart. And that's what Uzziah grew up with. Uzziah reigned for 52 years. He became king at the age of 16. He reigned until he was 68 years old. Here's what it says about his leadership. It says that he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, that was a prophet, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as the king sought the Lord, God gave him what? God gave him success. Notice the, un the conditional nature of this promise. He says, as long as. God was saying to Uzziah, hey, as long as you seek me, I'm going to give you success. As long as you will fear me, I am going to give you victory. The great theologian and thinker Kanye West <laughs> recently tweeted out these words on his Twitter account. He said this. He said, I don't subscribe to the term and concept of God-fearing. That's a dated mentality that was used to control people, he says. To fear God makes no sense. Thankfully, Derek Minor, who's also a hip-hop artist, tweeted back at Kanye West and explained to him what fearing God means. He said it means to respect or have a reverence for God. That it's not like we're walking around afraid of God as the boogeyman in the sky, but that he's like a good father. And we respect him and we have a reverence for him and we're willing to do what he's asking us to do. That's the kind of fear of God that the prophet Zechariah was teaching to King Uzziah. He was saying to Uzziah, as long as you will submit to God, as long as you will obey his commandments, as long as you respect him and have a reverence for him, God is going to give you success. And the next few verses go on to detail how God kept up his end of the bargain. It says that Uzziah went on to defeat the Philistines. He built new towers and towns. He had a great many flocks of livestock. He had many workers working in his vineyards and in his farms. He had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of soldiers who were well-trained and ready to go into battle. He developed new technology and new machinery. It says that his fame began to spread throughout the whole earth. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 15. It says that Uzziah's fame spread far and wide. For the Lord helped him wonderfully until he became very powerful. Did you catch that? Until. This is the first hint we have that something's going wrong here. 
that at the height of Uzziah's power, at the height of his fame, God stops helping him. Fame is intoxicating. Many people want it. When I was at that water park that I mentioned earlier, I was sitting out by the wave pool next to this guy who was just ripped. He sat down just a couple chairs away from me, and I'm telling you, this guy had muscles in places I didn't even know muscles existed. I felt bad for him sitting next to me. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, these three high school kids approach him, and they're acting like 14-year-old girls at a Bieber concert. I mean, they're just fawning all over this guy. And they're like, can I take a selfie with you? Okay, can we get a picture now together? And they're asking him all these questions. Five minutes later, another guy approaches him and says, hey, you know, could I get a picture with you? So now I'm going, who is this guy? He must be famous. I'm thinking he must be a football player, maybe a professional wrestler. So I did what you're supposed to do in those situations. Okay, if you're ever sitting next to someone, you think maybe they're famous, here's what you do. You sneak a picture when they're not looking. <laughs> you take a picture on the sly. So I you know, pull my camera out, kind of turn around, slap the picture of him. Here's the picture I got. <laughs> it's not a perfect picture. It's not perfectly centered, but that, considering the circumstances, not too bad. So a little bit later, I see these three high school guys. And I went up to them and I said, hey, you know, that guy you took a picture with earlier, is, is he famous or something? They said, yeah, he's famous on Instagram. I said, aren't we all? <laughs> aren't we all just famous on our own Instagram pages, right? Here are all these pictures of me. Turns out this guy's name is Tony Sentmanet. I think I'm saying that correctly. He's a former SWAT team member who produces these extreme strength and conditioning videos that he then puts on Instagram. I want you to see one of his videos just so you can get an idea of what he does. Take a look. Now you got your next workout idea, right? grab some monster truck tires, go out in the backyard. Uh, this guy, Tony Sentmanet, he has 847,000 followers on Instagram. He has high school kids who are just fawning all over him. And isn't that what a lot of people want? Got to build up my brand. Got to make sure people know who I am. Got to make sure that people think about me positively and they like me and they appreciate me. It's about my followers. I want to speak at that conference. I want to speak at that event. I want to have that level of authority in the organization. Or I want to get to that level in sales. You know, I, for me, it's about my fame. I got to make that much money. I want to go viral. I want to do something that other people are going to remember. But here's my question. What happens when you get all of that? Are you prepared to handle success well? King Uzziah wasn't. Because look at what it says in the very next verse. It says, but when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. How do the mighty fall? Pride. They start to think, you know what? I don't need God. Look at all that I've accomplished on my own. 
They stopped praying as much as they used to. They stopped reading the Bible. They no longer fear God or worry about obeying his commandments because they think, I made the team. I got the starting position. I got the scholarship. I got into the school that I wanted to get into. I'm sitting at the cool table in the cafeteria. Let me tell you, I'm on the A honor roll. I'm a leader. I'm making bank. I mean, the money is just flowing in. I'm in charge. I'm winning. I'm elite. I'm the CEO, CFO, COO. I am the best that you've got. I'm a teaching pastor at a pretty large church. I am the king of Israel. Next verse says that Uzziah sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, I thought, that's it? That's why God stopped helping him? That's why he was no longer successful? Because he burned a little incense in the temple? But here's what we have to understand. At that time, the temple was the place where God's presence most fully dwelt. The inner temple, the inner part of the temple, the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, it was called, was the place where God's presence most fully dwelt before Christ. And so God had said that only the high priest can burn incense and make a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. Everyone else, including the king, was strictly forbidden. So when Uzziah goes into the temple to burn this incense... It's not just that he was trying to make the place smell a little better. He was disobeying a direct commandment of God. He was saying, I am not just content to be the king of Israel. I want to be the spiritual leader of Israel as well. And that's the problem with pride. It's never satisfied. It never feels like it's been given enough. Even if you're successful here, you, you want just a little bit more. How do the mighty fall? The pride that comes with success. None of us think it's going to be us until it is. But there's not a person here who is immune to the temptations that leaders face. And oftentimes when you are the most successful, you are also the most susceptible. So in our time left, let me give you two ways that we can avoid the fall that comes with pride. The first one is this. We need to accept correction. So here's Uzziah, he's in the temple burning incense, listening to the doors, you know, I don't know what he's doing in there, but as he's doing this, all of a sudden, look what it says next. It says, Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. I mean, this is dramatic. He says, they confronted Uzziah and they said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Do you think Uzziah looked at these men and said, oh, you are right, I'm so sorry, I will leave immediately. No, he didn't say that. Do you think Uzziah said, you know, I am so grateful for accountability partners like you who will do life with me and are willing to tell me the truth and confront me when I'm in the wrong. No, he doesn't say that either. Instead, it says that Uzziah was furious and he refused to set down the incense burner that he was holding. 
What makes you furious? Ever been confronted by a parent or a spouse about your drinking? About your anger? About how much time you were spending with a certain person? Ever had a parent or spouse confront you about a text message that you sent or maybe a decision that you made? And you were what? You were furious. And you refused to set down the glass or the bottle that you were holding. You refused to give up your access to your phone or to your computer. You refused to stop seeing that person or spending so much time with them. You refused to go see a counselor. You refused. Or maybe a boss at work or a teacher at school confronts you about your behavior, and at the time, you sort of smile and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll change that. I'll, I'll be different. But then when you got away from them, you were furious. And you said things like, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm not listening to that. That's just, that's just a bunch of garbage. There's no way I'm going to do that. Not all the time, but some of the time. Being furious is a sign. It's a sign that something has struck you at a deep place in your heart. And it's because you know. You know You can throw your hands up in the air. You can chuck things up against the wall. You can point fingers and blame everybody else. But deep down inside, you know that what they're saying is true. You know that what they're saying is right. The next verse says, But as Uzziah was standing there with the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah and the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. And he himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. Why is it that we wait until leprosy breaks out on our forehead until we get out of the temple? I mean, I see this all the time. A wife wants to work on the marriage. It's not going real well. And so she says, there's this marriage conference coming up this weekend. Let's, let's sign up and go. And her husband says, oh, I'm sorry. I'm fishing that weekend. I'm hunting. I've got my fantasy football draft or whatever it might be. Sorry, I can't make it. She says, well, let's read a book. You know, we, we could read some things, grow in our faith together. It would improve our marriage. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just don't like to read. I don't have time for that. And then one day, He comes home and finds that she's leaving. And she's filed the paperwork. And he throws his hands up in the air and he says, oh, I'm sorry, let's let's go to that conference that you talked about. Let's, Let's read that book. Let's go see that pastor or counselor. But why did he wait? It's the woman who gets confronted about her drinking. And she's furious. She says, I'm just having a few glasses of wine to unwind after work. And then she gets a DUI. Or then she misses out on an event in her kid's life. And then she says, oh, I'll go to treatment. I'll do whatever it takes. But why did she wait? It's a person who gets confronted at work. People confront them and say, hey, you know, the way you're acting or the way you're treating other people, we we need to make some changes. And, And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they don't do it. Six months later, they get called into that same office and told they're being asked to resign. Or they're being offered early retirement. 
Why did they wait? It says that King Uzziah was furious and he refused to put down the incense that he was holding until leprosy broke out on his forehead and then he was eager to get out himself. And some of you know what that's like. That if you could look at yourself from three years ago, you would look at yourself and go, put it down. Put it down. I mean, I know you're furious. I know you don't want to let that go, but I'm telling you, if you know what I know three years later, that thing right there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin your life. Put it down. Others of us don't know what that's like, and it's because there's still time. There's still time for you to get out of the temple. There's still time for you to save your marriage, to break free from the addiction, to get your grades back on track, to get your life back on track. There is still time for you to get out of the temple. In fact, oftentimes, God will send another person into your life to confront you before it's too late. I believe that if Uzziah had put down the incense and gotten out of that temple right away, that God would have restored him that God would have continued to allow him to be successful and to prosper, but he needed to humble himself enough and be willing to accept correction. Any correction in your life right now that you need to accept? Someone's been coming to you and saying, you know, I love you, but I'm really worried about this. I'm concerned about this, what I see, this behavior in your life. That's a gift. That's a gift that says there is still time for you to get out of the temple, but you have to be willing to accept correction. Here's the second way that you can avoid the fall that comes with pride, and it's this. You need to build God's kingdom and not your own. Really hard to get prideful if your life isn't about just building up your kingdom, but it's about building up God's kingdom. Look at how the Uzziah story ends. It says he lived in isolation, excluded from the temple of the Lord. That is the fate of the mighty who fall. Isolation. You go back to work after hours with a brown box and you pack up your office. You grab your things and you move out. You lose friends and people you thought loved you just kind of kick you to the curb because you're not useful to them anymore. Find out who some of your real friends were. You move out, you accept early retirement, you get away just to avoid people's whispers and stares. You live in isolation. But notice the possessive pronoun in this verse. It says this is the temple of the Lord. That phrase gets used multiple times. It's the Lord's temple. It's almost like the author wants to remind us, hey, this isn't your temple, Uzziah. This isn't your kingdom. Easy to try to build up our own kingdom, isn't it? It's my company. It's my church. It's my brand. It's how people perceive me. I want people to respect me, think I'm important. And that's understandable because that feels good, doesn't it? It feels good to have people respect you and want to talk to you. I remember the first time I ever spoke at a pastor's conference. I went out to the lobby to get a bottle of water afterwards, and there were people staring at me. And they were pointing and they were whispering. And a few of them came up to me and said things like, oh, that was such a great message you just gave. I had never experienced anything like that before. Prior to that, I had been a youth pastor. I was known as the youth guy. I would go out in the lobby. People wouldn't even look twice. They'd ask me questions like, is this your full-time job? (laughs) Yeah, actually it is. I thought maybe you did something else. (laughs) 
I was just a youth guy. And so when I spoke at this conference and people were looking at me that way, I thought, I have never felt this before. Then, I'm embarrassed to say this, but there was a season where on Mondays, I would go on Eagle Brook's Facebook page. And I would want to see how many shares my message got. And if it only got like 70 shares, I would go, you got to be kidding me. It's one of the best messages I ever gave. And only 70 of you thought it was worthwhile to share that with your friends. And here I am in the tank because of Facebook. I don't go on any Eaglebrook social media anymore because for me, it's a Petri dish for pride or self-defeat. Either you walk away and go, man, I'm something, or you walk away and go, I'm just the worst ever. These days, I try to embrace it when God humbles me, even in small ways. My son Hudson's playing for a basketball team this spring called UVA. It's Urban Ventures which is an organization that we support. They're trying to eliminate poverty in South Minneapolis, which we really believe in as well. But on most Tuesday nights, I'm someplace along East Lake Street. And so one night I was at the McDonald's off of East Lake Street when this man approached me at the register. And he goes, hey, do you remember me? And I looked at him and he didn't ring a bell at all. I didn't recognize him. And so I said what I always say, I smiled and I said, oh, do you go to Eagle Brook? And he looked at me rather confused and then he flashed me a wad of cash. I mean, I'm telling you, a wad of cash like this big, I've never seen anything like it. Even if it was just ones, we're talking thousands of dollars. So now I'm going, I don't think he goes to Eagle Brook. (laughs) You know, maybe this is his tithe that he's going to give me to give to the church. I don't know, but... Turns out he thought he recognized me from prison. The guy I was with was like, I didn't know you spent time in jail. I'm like, "Eh, I didn't really. But I could not convince this guy that we weren't in prison together. And he got so mad at me that I would not buy him a hamburger to celebrate that he had just gotten out of jail that he started to swear at me and actually followed me over to the booth and was just swearing at me and yelling at me in the middle of the restaurant which was so confusing because I'm thinking, you've got money to buy that burger and why are we celebrating at McDonald's? Like there's gotta be some other place we could go to celebrate this. But I had to just sit there until he left the restaurant and ran out of steam. But afterwards I thought, you know what? How funny is it that I thought, you know, he must listen to the podcast. He must just be blessed by my messages. No, no, he thought he recognized you from prison. (laughs) That'll burst your bubble just a little bit. But some people live for that. They live for the attention. They live for the recognition. They live to be invited to that important dinner with those important people so that it will validate just how important they are. They live to be in the cool group. They live to have the kids who are successful in a sport so that people will go, oh, you must have been quite the athlete yourself back in the day. Now, there's nothing wrong with having successful kids or being invited to dinners. But if that's your focus, if that starts to become your one desire, then you might get dragged out of the temple one day. Because there is a temple and it's the Lord's. There is a God and it's not you. There is a kingdom and you are not the king. I've watched our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, wrestle with an important decision recently. It's not something for our church. It's something outside of our church. 
but I've watched him pray and read the Bible and lose sleep over this. And he made the decision that I believe was the right decision, but it was also a decision that could cost his earthly kingdom a little bit. Might damage some relationships with people who could help promote his book, who could maybe invite him to speak at important pastor's conferences. And it was so refreshing to me in the year 2018, when everybody's trying to build up their brand, to see someone who said, I don't care. What mattered to him was his own integrity. What mattered to him was not to build up his own kingdom, but to build up God's kingdom. I was reflecting on this one night, talking to my wife, Sarah, and I just sent Bob a text afterwards. And in the text, I just said, you know, I was telling Sarah last night, Bob isn't as nationally known as, and this this isn't swear words, okay? But we are so lucky to call Bob Merritt our senior pastor. And then I said to Bob, I said, one day you will hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You are finishing strong and have a legacy of 30 years as a senior pastor who grinded every week and finished well. Thanks for having such high integrity. Praying that God will use you in mighty ways this weekend and give you peace about the decision. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Wouldn't it be something if we could say that? If we could say, I I finished the race that God had for me. Uzziah ran strong for 52 years, but he didn't finish the race. What if we could say, I finished the race, I fought the good fight, I remained faithful, because that is the definition of success. It's not building up your name and building up your kingdom and building up your brand. The definition of success is to stand before God and say, God, I remained faithful. I am so thankful for a senior pastor of this church and a friend who says, I want to build up his name and not my own. I'm so thankful for a senior pastor and a friend who says, it's about his kingdom and not my kingdom. And he is finishing very well. Now, just to be clear for some of you, Bob's not retiring and he's not dying, okay? He is old. <laughs> and, and if you're offended by that, you're probably old too, okay? Just, just to... Just to let you know, but he is finishing so well. Don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to be among the mighty who do not fall? Accept correction. Spend your life building up his kingdom and not your own. And when you do have success, which hopefully all of us will, give God the glory, give God the thanks, because when we are the most successful, oftentimes we are the most susceptible. Let's stand together and pray at all of our campuses. Lord, I just want to pray a prayer right now of protection. We have so many people in this church who have experienced a high level of success in some area of their life. God, I pray right now against pride. 
I pray for humility. I pray that they would humble themselves so that you don't have to. God, I pray that you would protect them so that every single one of us in our marriage, in our work, with our kids, in our school, and our friendships, that we could say, I finished the race. I don't know if my name got built up. I don't know if other people know me or what they think of me, God, but I remained faithful to you. Would you remind us of that this week? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.